You're listening to The Treatment Room with Tess and Lauren, the podcast by estheticians for estheticians and those who seek to learn about their own skin from a professional's perspective. We're diving into our whys as licensed skincare therapists, sharing in our career journeys and separating the gimmicks from the real heroes in skincare. Welcome to The Treatment Room. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to The Treatment Room with Tess and Lauren. This is Lauren, and I am, of course, here with Tess. And we are going to be doing a little skin myth episode. So we're going to talk about the common myths that we hear in regards to skincare, how to care for your skin, um, just the common things that I think are misconceptions throughout the um, more the consumer side of things, because I know a lot of, you know, estheticians, we we kind of know that these are all myths. But yeah, so we're going to get into it. Do you want to go for the first one, Tess? Yes. Okay. I'm excited to play Mythbusters. Okay. So the first one we have is the idea that retinol thins the skin. I feel like hopefully this is a little bit of an outdated belief and people are starting to understand retinol more, but I'm I'm sure there are some people who still kind of cling to this belief and are afraid of retinol. The thing is with retinol, it can be incredible. And with the right dosage, it will eventually boost your collagen and elastin, therefore thickening the skin. But if you are overusing it, maybe not following the directions properly, you're getting a lot of sun exposure, you're using too high of a percentage right away, it can have that effect of compromising the barrier. Yeah, perfectly said. Retinol, I think, is a pretty um, misunderstood product because because it's tricky. Like if you use it too strong and if you start using it too frequently, too fast, because it is such an active product, you can have um, you know, certain side effects like flaking, um, and sensitivity, redness, irritation, but usually it's just almost like user error or too strong of a retinol or also depending on, because like if you use tretinoin from your dermatologist, which is pure retinoic acid, that's going to be a whole lot stronger Mm -hmm. than using an over-the-counter retinol that is, um, not pure retinoic acid. Yep. Yep, absolutely. So something to be wary of because it can cause, you know, advanced aging or make somebody look a lot older if they're not using it properly. So always got to ease into it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I love retinol. I think that, I mean, despite the the side effects that it can have, I think that it's, you know, a must have. Yes. I think if you can master it, which I think has taken me years. And I think most of us have had that like horror experience (laughs) with it, but if you can master it, I think it is one of the best tools for anti-aging and it's stood the test of time. Vitamin A is just incredible. Yeah, absolutely. That's something I try to put a lot of my friends on who aren't in the skincare world the way we are. Mm -hmm. You got to start using the retinol and the sunscreen. Yeah. Oh my God. It's like, I mean, retinol, antioxidant, and sunscreen is like literally the holy trinity. Yep. Absolutely. And I think your routine can be a lot simpler if you can, if you can incorporate the retinol. It doesn't have to yeah. be a million things besides that. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. Cool. Okay. So our next myth is that frequent steaming is great for the skin. And this is one that is interesting because I'm seeing a lot of like influencers and, um, you know, celebrities on Instagram promoting these at home steamers and they're using it, you know, every day they wash their face with the steamer on, they put their serums on with the steamer on and, and all this stuff. And it's just, I mean, the reality of it is it's, it's too much. You don't want to steam that much. It's a lot of heat. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And like, yeah. And it's just like the heat is, you know, it can break down your collagen over time. It can be inflammatory. Um, and it's not good for all skin types. So, um, you know, people with rosacea or somebody who's melasma prone, you, you don't want all that heat on the skin. No. And I think a lot of us as estheticians know if we have somebody on our treatment table with those conditions, we want to maybe turn the steamer down a little bit, use it for less time, or maybe don't use it at all if they are somebody with compromised barrier who's going to react to skin. But mm-hmm. not to say steaming doesn't have a place. It can do it can do a lot of beautiful things and it can really be an asset to your treatment room. It can activate enzymes. It can really help your extractions come out seamlessly. But what we're talking about is oversteaming, especially when it comes to consumer use. I don't think there's really any reason anybody needs to buy a handheld or some sort of steamer device to have at home. You can get steam from your shower and that's plenty. Yeah. You, you don't need to be using it on a weekly basis. I think it's way too much. People don't always understand that heat can really be compromising. And especially when it comes to acne, acne already is heat. So adding more to the equation is not going to do what you want it to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I want to add one more thing to that because I used to do this when I was younger. Um, I think I learned it from my mom, but we would like we would boil water, you know, in a pot and then pour it into a bowl, sit over the bowl, the face over the bowl with like a towel over your head. So it kind of like traps the steam in. And I remember it feeling really hot, which, you know, at the time was like, oh, it feels so good. It's so relaxing. Um, but I do know that people still do this at home sometimes. So that is, I think, an extra like caution sign because that's a, that, that's a hot steam. It's not, you know, the vapor steam or what you might get from a professional machine. So I would say Mm -hmm. don't even do that at all. I used to do the exact same thing, (laughs) but I would mostly do it when I was sick or like had some sort of flu. My mom would make me put my face over the bowl of water with the towel over my head. Yeah. Cause yeah, well it helps the sinuses and all that, but yeah, like so, so hot on the skin. Like with my melasma now, that would give me so much anxiety, that much heat on the skin. Oh my gosh. Lauren and I are so just, um, you know, conscious of our melasma. So we're very careful about our heat and our tanning. So we yeah. would never, never do the at-home steamer situation. Yeah. I wanted to read one tiny little blurb from this website we found when we were doing a little bit of research around the episode, if you guys are not convinced about the oversteaming yet. So it says collagen, and by the way, this is from 
facialsteaming.com. It says collagen is a protein mostly made up of water. We have collagen in our ligaments, tendons, skin, and some organs. When collagen becomes dehydrated through too much heat and other contributing factors, the collagen strands start to break up and can even join together. This is basically the cause of lines and wrinkles on the face. The collagen strands in your face naturally get weaker and more broken up as you age. So don't add to the equation with <laughs> excess heat. Even things like hot yoga or steam room at the gym, it's something to be conscious of. Yeah. Because too much is, there's too much of a good thing. Too much. Exactly. There's something, how, how does the phrase go? There's such thing <laughs> as too much of a good thing. <laughs> yeah. I had, um, I had a coworker that I used to work with who she would always say like, people don't feel like things are working unless their skin and hair is on fire. Oh my and gosh. That's it. You nailed that's it. it. You nailed it right? on the head. Yeah. Yes. Cause it's like, you know, if it's not burning, if it's not turning you red, if you don't feel it working, people feel like things aren't working. So I think that's the same thing with steam. It's like, well, if, if a little steam is good, then more must be better. And it's like, no, 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 no. Very, very caution sign used with caution. Don't boil water and don't do it every day. And I will say like, I've seen some influencers on Instagram who apply their serums with the steamer on. And I can kind of see how like, you know, obviously having damp skin, um, your serums are going to absorb better. So I can kind of see why they might be what they might be thinking there. But I think bottom line is, you know, just mist with a toner. If you want to have some damp skin before you put your serums on, I think that's going to do you way better than applying with the steamer on. Yeah, because you and you don't want the skin to sweat and start, Ugh. you know, excreting bacteria and all that stuff, because then you're just kind of reversing all the good cleansing you've just done. So mm -hmm. I would only use it, you know, pre extraction, or maybe yeah. pre enzyme mask a couple times a month, you yeah. know, yeah, really. Absolutely. Yeah. So doing it every day, I cannot imagine the damage that's doing, but yeah, no. <sighs> All right. Should we move on to our next myth? Yes. Okay. Okay, the next myth we have for you guys is something I'm sure you guys are all aware of, but it's kind of, it's one of those things that just keeps happening, even though people probably know better. And that's that you should use the skincare your friend or influencer with good skin uses or recommends, which mm -hmm. like saying it out loud, it sounds so silly, but how many times are we on Instagram or TikTok or YouTube? And I think at the heart of it, people are a bit lazy. So when somebody we trust or who, you know, is super beautiful, recommends something, we want to buy it. Yeah. But we're just bringing this up to push you guys to, you know, do a little bit more work, have a look at the ingredient label, label, decide if it is actually good for your skin type or if you're just buying it because you like how somebody else's skin is. Right. And I think, I think the bottom line of this is, is to be an informed and a, and a consumer with a critical eye, because, you know, if I say I follow this in this influencer or someone and she has beautiful skin and she's recommending this ultra rich 
a, you know, moisturizer and I have oily Mm -hmm. acne prone skin, you know, if I'm not doing the due diligence and looking into the ingredients to see, you know, what's in there, what's, you know, what skin type is this for? I could be layering my skin with all these occlusive things that are going to break me out. So I'm going to get acne from that, you know, from that moisturizer, whereas the other dry skin woman loves it and it does great things for her skin. So you just have to be really critical and see, you know, think about, you know, what, what their skin type is, what your skin type is, what the ingredients are. I mean, like you said, Tess, like when you say it out loud, it seems so silly, but it's just, it's easy to, it's an easy trap to fall into. Cause even I have Mm. been like, Oh, that looks amazing. Maybe I should. I've done it too. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's how a lot of us estheticians like get into the business because we want to know what's actually, you know, what are those active ingredients that are actually doing the things that the product claims. Right. Exactly. The last thing I'll say on that note is you never really know what's going on behind the curtain. You don't know if somebody Mm -hmm. is actually using the product they're recommending Maybe it's a sponsored post. Mm -hmm. And secondly, if it's a celebrity or an influencer, you have to take into consideration there's an influencer I'm thinking of in particular. She has sponsorships with skincare brands all the time. But then I also see her posting about all the laser treatments and medical treatment she goes and gets. So it's not the same as your average Joe who's not doing all those things and who's just looking, you know, looking to someone and seeing them recommending a product and they think, oh, great. She has amazing skin. She uses it. A plus B equals C, but no, you don't always know what people are doing at home and, you know, what other treatments they're having done. Yeah, exactly. And kind of a side note on that, I once heard, and I I don't know if I've ever fact-checked this, but I once heard when I was younger that like, you know, celebrities that are in these like, these hair care commercials where they use like the, like Garnier dye, hair dye or whatever. I I once heard they have to only have that hair dye on like a couple strands of their hair for the commercial. And then the rest of it is like, is literally a professionally done (gasps) hair color. Oh my gosh. That's Isn't that crazy? So interesting. Well, I know. That's interesting that there's, I wonder if it's like a legal rule that, yeah, it's probably just a, a legal rule that you have to use the product in, you know, some capacity. So if you're technically, right. if you technically have it on your head, yeah, you know, you're not breaking any rules, but otherwise it is just false advertising. Yeah. And I think it just goes to your point test that like, yeah, maybe they do use this say once a week or whatever the product is, they've used it a couple times. But again, you know, if they're doing all these laser treatments and they've got fillers and they've got Botox and like all this stuff, it, you know, it's not that product that solely contributes to how beautiful their skin is. No. Do you think Kylie Jenner looks the way she does because <laughs> of her wellness scrub? No. <laughs> Didn't she even use the for walnut scrub? Uh, no, I'm sure she does not. I'm sure her derm would never never let her. Um oh, I know. But okay. I digress. Not I don't mean to throw Kylie under the bus. No, no, not at all. Not at all. Um but it you know, it's just kind of that's just the name of the game. Like people they yeah. create products and they promote products to sell them and to make money and it's yeah. a business. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just you as a consumer need to Have do to your own due diligence. Yep. Absolutely. Perfect. Okay. 
So next one is one that we've kind of talked about before, but we thought it was important to to include here is that um, the myth would be that all vitamin C's are the same, um, which is you know, false because there's, there's a bunch of different derivatives of vitamin C. The one that you see most often and what people call like the Holy grail of vitamin C is going to be L ascorbic acid. Um, however, there are other ones like tetra, I always say this wrong, tetra hexyl decyl ascorbate, um, magnesium ascorbyl phosphate, and there are other ones and they all are kind of, they're all effective, but they have you know, benefits for different skin types. So like L-ascorbic acid is actually, it's a pretty strong ingredient and can be extremely irritating if your skin is sensitive Mm -hmm. to it. Um, So that's where you might want to use something like the, you know, tetrahexyl decyl ascorbate or magnesium ascorbyl. So you want to kind of use something that is going to work for your skin type. Yes. And I think this is actually something a lot of consumers don't necessarily know. Maybe even some estheticians don't know that vitamin C has so many categories. We tend to just think vitamin C is vitamin C. Mm-hmm. And something that, you know, even L-ascorbic acid, even though it may be a gold standard, it's and the most effective, especially in higher concentrations, it may not be the best for you if you are sensitive or acne prone or have never used vitamin C. So I think, you know, different, different strokes for different folks. When I I posted something about vitamin C on, I think it was TikTok and I got a bunch of comments, which vitamin C do you recommend? And it's so hard because there's no universal answer and I had to reply to everyone. Depends on your skin type, you know, if, If you have sensitivity, you're going to want to really pay attention to the derivatives, like Lauren said, because something like an L-ascorbic acid could be slightly exfoliating and cause too much stimulation for your skin. Mm -hmm. And I almost think, well, it's like, it's definitely not a one size fits all. Like that's for sure. No. Um, And I think that it's, it's almost would be beneficial for anyone who's new to a vitamin C to start with a derivative before you jump right into L-ascorbic acid and kind of work your way up and see what your skin can tolerate and what your skin does best with instead of starting at the top and then having to work your way down after you have a negative reaction. Yes. And I think another important point is the percentage and really Mm -hmm. considering that the percentage of the vitamin C makes an impact in skincare and a 20% may be okay for some clients, but again, irritating for others. So maybe you can offer different options. If you are a spa owner or an esthetician, maybe you can offer a 10% and a 20%. Mm -hmm. Both are still professional grade percentages, but the impact of the depth really depends on the formula and the percentage. I also think people don't consider the carriers, the pH balance, mm-hmm. the molecular weight of the formulation and how how well the serum can actually penetrate the skin. Yeah, exactly. I see a lot of like vitamin C dupe for XYZ, you know, professional line like hmm. you know kind of thing and I think it's really hard to dupe products that are clinically trialed and 
really have investment behind the formulation. So yeah, yeah. And I think that's an important point too, is when you're looking for something with a vitamin C, there's like, as we know, labeling on skincare products is not the best because, you know, you could pretty much claim anything on a, on the, you know, bottle of a product, but you don't necessarily know if that product has even has that ingredient in it or has it at a concentration that's high enough to affect the skin. So like we always say, turn the bottle over. If it says like, Oh, vitamin C serum or such and such with vitamin C, turn the bottle over and look for these key ingredients that you want to have in a vitamin C, such as um, the THD or the magnesium ascorbyl phosphate, like, or L-ascorbic acid, look for that. You know what I mean? So be, be wary. Um, because of course, if you get a professional grade product, one that is backed by science and by testing and can actually prove that it has the concentrations and the efficacy behind it, then that's, that's obviously the gold standard. But if you're just kind of browsing through, say Sephora or, um, you know, the health food store or whatever it is, you really have to be critical and see, cause you don't know if they have testing or not. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's really great. You mentioned Lauren looking at the label because I've actually been really surprised recently looking at vitamin C's that the other ingredients that are in the product, there's a really big brand name that's really popular among S amongst estheticians, I flipped the label over only to realize there's actually retinol in the vitamin C. So (laughs) something to just take into consideration. Normally I trust a lot of professional lines, but you really Mm -hmm. never know until you flip over the label. Other ingredients like I know the vitamin E and ferulic as stabilizers is a really popular thing. And just keep in mind with the vitamin E, it can work fine and it can be a great product for some people, but for other people, it could be congestive. So mm-hmm. the vitamin C is a tricky one and something mm-hmm. I think is worth your time as far as research. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. The, when I start thinking about it, like the chemistry that goes into products and the stabilizers and the pH, and it's just like, sometimes it just feels overwhelming, but like you said, it's yeah. definitely, definitely worth the trial and the error and whatever else. Absolutely. Okay, so our next myth is that men and women should use the same skincare routine, which this was an interesting one for me and Tess because as we were kind of, you know, doing our research on this, we were learning things that we didn't necessarily know before. So there's, you know, obviously there's products that are um, advertised more towards men, which is more so about the labeling and the packaging. I think a lot of, a lot of the time than the actual ingredients in the skincare, but, um, there are certain structural differences between men's skin and women's skin. Yes. So Lauren and I found this really interesting article from Dermalogica talking about the different structural differences between men and women's skin. So it says androgen or testosterone stimulation causes an increase in skin thickness, which accounts for why a man's skin is about 25% thicker than a woman's. In addition to being thicker, a man's skin texture is tougher. And then I think it's also really interesting when it comes to acne, and this is an area where a man may want to sort of adapt to, you know, address 
the differences here. Maybe they're using a lighter moisturizer. Maybe they're doing a little bit less layering of products. Maybe they're using some sort of foaming cleanser that's not, you know, it doesn't contain SLS, but maybe a good cleanser. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to men's acne, sebum, which is oil, and its production also differ in both genders. After puberty, sebum production is greater in males than females, which is attributed to androgen secretions, which accounts for why men have longer lasting acne, also maybe a reason if your male client is, you know, wondering why it's taking so many treatments to get his acne under control. Maybe this is something you can cite, again, from Dermalogica. And though men have smaller oil-secreting sebaceous glands, they generally have oilier skin. Mm-hmm. And then when it comes to collagen... This is where I'm very jealous. (laughs) Regardless of age, men have a higher collagen density than women. Because collagen content is directly related to the signs of aging, it has been said a woman's skin is about 15 years older than a man's of the same age. But I am literally (laughs) offended. Offended. They're doing so much less and still benefiting. Have you seen that meme that's been going around that's like men yes. have such great skin because they're stressing everybody out except themselves? Oh, no, I haven't seen that one. I've seen the one talking about them using, you know, shampoo on their skin. Uh, yeah, exactly. Which, ugh, this explains so much. Yeah, no, it really does. But it does say here men tend to be less sun savvy. So we do kind of have, mm-hmm. we have that on them. We have a leg up on that one. <laughs> Exactly. And then lastly, the article says shaving does give men an extra edge in skincare. The intense exfoliation of the outer skin layers can lead to a more youthful skin appearance. But here's a but, but it can also irritate skin and lead to more ingrown hairs or bumps if you're not careful. So yeah. guys, if there's any guys listening in, or anybody who shaves their face, in general, it's a good idea to change your razor blade every three to four uses if you shave often or whenever your raisins, razor starts pulling, nicking, or rusting. This will help ensure your razor stays sharp for a closer, more accurate shave. Yeah. So I think that's also if for anyone who uses at-home dermaplaners. Mm-hmm. Keep in mind, good idea to replace it after three to four uses and make sure you're, you are sanitizing it after each use. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's all like, it's so, so, so interesting because you would so think like, you know, we're all human, we all have skin. So why would it be any different? But, you know, it goes to show that like hormones play such, such a huge role in your skin, the quality, how it looks, how it performs how it you know reacts to certain things yes yeah cool and if you are eating foods also that you know have those added hormones that is something that contribute on top of those hormonal things so yeah that's a big one it's, it's so interesting yeah cool okay love that one um, let's see. Our next one is, is one that we've kind of talked about before, but I think it's really important, um, is that the myth is that toner is unnecessary, which Tess, you do such a good job talking about toners. Do you want to take this one? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sorry, <laughs> just drinking my water. Um, <laughs> yes. So I think toners are something that sort of get that frilly label or something 
as something that is unnecessary in skincare. I think toners are so key to a good routine and bear in mind, I think it's important to look for an alcohol free toner and one that addresses your concerns. There, it's such a big category, the, the category of toners. There's everything from astringents to essences on the other end. So something very stripping versus something very hydrating. And I think it can be a little bit tricky to find one that works for you. But the reason toner is so important is pH. pH is at the heart of our skin health. When your pH is compromised, that's when your skin is more susceptible to things like acne or even dermatitis. And then when it comes to water and even the pH of water, that can vary so differently based upon where you live. Our skin's natural pH is actually a little, a little bit acidic. And it's very important that you preserve pH, look for products that are pH balanced, or at least have a toner because I think the main benefit of a toner is really neutralizing that pH so that whatever you put on top of it or put on after it really penetrates well and is readily absorbed and accepted by the skin. But within the category, there are so many amazing options. You may be able to find one that addresses blackheads and congestion. Maybe it has a little bit of salicylic to dissolve those, or maybe you need something that's very hydrating. Maybe it binds water to the skin, has hyaluronic or aloe, and it's really going to allow your moisturizer to penetrate a lot deeper, and it's going to bind those water molecules to the skin because of how it's formulated. So big category, but I think toners get a bad rap and they're honestly one of my favorite parts of my routine and my clients Mm -hmm. and something that I see affects a lot of change with the skin. Yeah. And I think more so even than just being a myth, I think that toners are just so extremely misunderstood because there are so many different kinds out there. I mean, there's the ones that, you know, make me want to call the police with all the alcohol and (laughs) you know, all that stuff. Sea breeze. Yeah, exactly. And then you have the ones that are so beyond phenomenal for your skin. So it's like when someone tells me they're using a toner, it's like, okay, well, let's, let's get down to the bottom of like, what kind of toner (laughs) do you have the clean and clear, like, you know, could set something on fire toner or do you have (laughs) something that's going to benefit your skin? Because they, you know, when, especially if you're using a lot of like a lot of different products, like you're you know, your acids and your exfoliating and you're using retinol and everything, really protecting the barrier function of your skin is not only important to the, to the health of your skin, but also to the efficacy of the products that you're spending a ton of money on. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's important to consider the type of toner you're using and the level of acidity, of acidity in the product, keep mm-hmm. that in mind if you are using other active ingredients. I had to learn this the hard way when I was just getting into skincare and I wanted to use salicylic toner and my 20% L-ascorbic acid, vitamin C and my retin-A and then do peels. Like you just yeah. have to really pay attention to the active ingredients in everything. Yes. 
perfectly said. Beautiful. Okay, let's move on to the next one, which is the idea that touching your face and pulling on your skin results in advanced aging. So Lauren and I were talking about this, and we think one of the areas this really pertains to for a lot of people is the eye area. I think a lot of people, and it's kind of something when I think about it, that we were told growing up not to really touch around your eye area because it would cause wrinkles. Mm -hmm. And there's definitely some merit. You don't want to you don't want to pull, you don't want to rub vigorously with a towel at all. Right. But the eye area especially is an area that can really benefit from some light massage and stimulation. Massage is beneficial for the skin. It increases the collagen production, benefits circulation, and that eye area gets really stagnant. That's why people complain of dark circles. It's that coagulation of blood that just, you know, pools and sits there. So if you can do a little bit of light massage, even when you just are applying your eye cream, that can be really beneficial for the skin. Yeah, definitely. I think it's just so misunderstood. And like, like you said, of course, you don't want to be vigorously rubbing with like a washcloth or if you're rubbing your eyes because they're itchy or whatever the deal is like, that's not going to be good. But if you're doing like a facial massage with a little bit of oil, so you have a little bit of slip or you're using your gua sha, like Donna Omari always says like where there's movement, there's life. And I, that has like stuck with me ever since I first heard her say that. that. And it's, it's so important. You have to be manipulating your skin just at least a little bit, get the circulation going, get that lymphatic drainage, get it moving, get it flowing. Um, it's almost like exercising for your body. It's like massage is similar for your face. Yes. Yeah. It's all, it all comes back to circulation. I think circulation is such an underrated topic. We understand massage and facials are good, but I think a lot of us don't think about why, and it comes down to circulation, keeping things moving and flowing. So important, especially in quarantine when a lot of us are sitting at home a lot more. It's so Mm -hmm. important to have that movement. And like Lauren said, where there's life, where there's movement, there's life. So Mm -hmm. super important, especially around the eyes. Yes, exactly. Okay. So our next myth is, is an important one. Mm -hmm. And again, we've, we've mentioned this a couple of times before, but I think it's so important that we, it's really something we want to talk about again. Um, and the myth is that you don't need SPF if you're, if you're just going to be inside or if you work a desk job, you know, you, the myth being you only need sunscreen if you're going to be outside hiking or in the sun, which I I'm sure a lot of us know this already, but it's like, (laughs) you have to be wearing your sunscreen inside, no matter what day it is, if it's cloudy, if it's sunny, you have to be wearing it and you have to be wearing a legit sunscreen, not just one that, you know, you, not just like your makeup that has a little SPF in it. It has to be legit sunscreen every single day, no matter where you are or what the weather is, because there's sun can come through your windows. Um, and not only just sun, there's blue light from your phone. There's infrared coming from, you know, when you're cooking and stuff like that. Um, the heat, you know, you have to, you have to be protecting your skin because you are getting, you know, exposure even when you're inside. Absolutely. And I think people are just, because this is actually new information, the stuff about blue light, it's, Mm -hmm. you know, it's new. So 
now people are being told you need to wear your sunscreen inside, not only because you get UVA damage through the windows, but our screens are inflicting a lot of damage to the skin. So yes, you need to wear your sunscreen indoors. And it's important to look for sunscreens that do have a filter for blue light or some protection from blue light. I know one ingredient is red algae, but you want to look for a sunscreen that specifically has that benefit. Yeah. You want one that's well-rounded. Like, you know, we, we all know to look for a quote unquote broad spectrum, which is great. But now as we have new, new information coming out, it just kind of adds to, to our knowledge and to what we know to look for in sunscreens. Yeah. And if you, if you're somebody who's saying I've, you know, never worn sunscreen in my life, I don't, I've never gotten a sunburn. Bear in mind, it's different from the type of damage you would get the photo aging damage you would get from a day at the pool. Yeah. It's a slightly different type of damage. And according to some of the research we found, it's more of damage that causes reactive oxygen damage. And Mm -hmm. then that causes damage to the collagen, increases wrinkling, more pigment and laxity. So it's it's a little bit more subtle, but still something you definitely want to be aware of. Or if you can wear blue light glasses, that's helpful too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So our last one, and I love this one, is the myth being that you need a 10-step skincare routine to see results. And I think that this is a, I I think that it's a big misconception, um, especially for consumers who follow estheticians on Instagram or people who are very skincare savvy, because, you know, as professionals, we love products, like we love products and we want to try everything we want to, um, it's very important to us. So we buy, you know, everything that we need and, and, you know, we do use a lot of products. However, that doesn't mean that that's, what you have to do in order to see any type of result. Mm-hmm. Yes, I have a couple instances that are coming to mind where this has come up. I remember being at the San Jose Skin and Body Show and going up to one of the booths and talking to a sales brand representative and she was I was telling her my skin routine. It was pretty solid, pretty, you know, somewhat simple vitamin C, retinol. I thought it was covering all the bases. And she was like, oh, but do you have something for lightening? Do you have something for brightening? Do you have this and that and that? And I was like, oh my gosh, no, I don't. So I ended up buying all these serums and then having four or five serums in my routine. At the same skin show, I was listening to a presentation from Mark Lees, who is an acne expert. And he was talking about how he keep seeing this recurring type of acne at these skin shows amongst estheticians who, like Lauren said, love product and are just doing too much, which is in turn creating inflammation in the follicle, which is, as we know, how acne starts. So don't let people discourage you if you have a simple routine with, you know, a little bit of good active ingredients mm-hmm. and it's working for you, there's no need to have 12 
steps in your routine, even if it's something that's super fun for you, you might be doing more harm than good. Yeah, absolutely. And I even find myself sometimes almost getting exhausted (laughs) by like too many products. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I've just, I've just started to feel that way. And I never thought I would because I've always so looked forward to, you know, my nighttime skincare routine and I do, I still do, but it doesn't have to be so excessive. Yeah, exactly. Like for instance, in the morning, and maybe this sounds like a lot to some people, but it is pretty basic. Like in the morning I cleanse, I put on a vitamin C, um, well, I use my toner. So I cleanse, tone, vitamin C, and then sunscreen. And like, that's it. It doesn't need to be all of these like huge things. And I don't use a moisturizer mostly just because I have oily skin and the sunscreen that I have is, it has a lot of squalene in it. So it's super um, like rich, feels like a moisturizer. But yeah, so like sometimes simplicity is best. And especially when I, when I talk to people who are like, I'm breaking out and it won't go away. I use this, 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 this. They have this, you know, long list of products. I will pretty much always say, take it all out, go back to basics and start from like a baseline. And then you can start adding things in. You know what I mean? Because sometimes, like you said, people are just breaking out because they're just doing too much. Yeah. And if you have, I think it's really common now to, I think we love our exfoliating products. We love acids. We see consumers see words like glycolic and salicylic and retinol and they want it all. They see anti-aging and they may not realize, you know, like their toner and their serum and maybe even their moisturizer and their cleanser have acids in them. So Mm -hmm. something to bear in mind if, if you're having issues, maybe the next step is sort of simplifying. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. Perfect. I think those are all of our myths for today. Please let us know, you guys. Comment on our Instagrams or leave us a review, whatever. Let us know if there are questions you have about skin or certain things that you think you think might be a good myth for us to bring up because these yeah. are really fun episodes for us. Yeah. Absolutely. As always, thank you everybody for listening and um, for participating and for engaging with us. We love when you guys send us messages saying that you've listened to the podcast or you loved a certain episode. It really, it makes us so happy. So thank you so much for all of your support. Yes. Thank you guys so much. We love you and we will talk to you in the next episode.